Good afternoon. Welcome to Dev Talk with Rich and Vin. I'm Rich, and the other guy on the other end is Vin. I'm the Executive Vice President of Open Systems Media, and Vin is, I was see if I can come up with something that's innovative for a title for you, Vin. He's an embedded developer who knows the answers to all my questions. Right, Vin? Well, most of them. And if not, I can just make something up. <laughs> Very good. I actually so, was thinking of having my title changed to vaudevillian plate spinner because I'm keeping a whole bunch of stuff in the air. <laughs> I would like to take a poll and see how many of our listeners know what that actually means. I know. Over <laughs> under a certain age. That's right. So topic for today, speaking of polls, if you polled the general embedded community and said, what is the hottest application today in the embedded space? I think the majority of the people would say AI artificial intelligence. And I would give you that raspberry sounding bell, and that's the wrong answer because AI is not an application. AI is a technology that I liken to low power security algorithms. It's it's a way to achieve whatever your application happens to be. Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I in the middle? Uh, you are right, but not complete. So I would say it's more than just the means to the end because it incorporates a rich, it has to incorporate a rich tool set as well. So it's a combination of uh, of some kind of technology along with the equivalent of circuit simulation, right? Look yeah, at circuit. I'm, no, I'm not buying that because, I, because I can give you lots of other examples where you need that rich tool set to accomplish what you're doing and it's not an end application. No, I'm not saying it's an end application, but it's not just the means to the end. You also have to have the tools and the support to make it work. It's not something you're going to leaf through on your own. Okay, that's fair. So is, is it fair to assume that in some sense, you'll see AI in just about every um, application that or every design that we see going forward, like, in, you know, five years from now, will it just be a checkbox, not even, you know, something that you, you, you really think about? I think there'll be a swell and then you'll see some things falling off. I don't know if you remember in the 80s, there was this whole fuzzy logic thing that happened for a while with fuzzy logic compilers and stuff. Okay, it's tangent time. Yes. The article that I wrote about fuzzy logic had to do with elevators. And it talked about when you got to your floor, the elevator didn't come to an abrupt stop because it used fuzzy, fuzzy logic to know it when it got near the stop and would slow itself down. Is that fuzzy logic though? Or is that just knowing data? You know, <laughs> I don't know, it's 40 years, can't be 40 years ago, I'm not that old. 30 years ago that I wrote something like that. Anyway, I'm sorry, let's let, move yeah, on we, and you get back you, to the original subject. Yeah, you, you and I have talked about this and I've talked about this with other people too. Artificial intelligence or intelligence in general is about synthesizing something you don't know from things you do know. So if you're using a pressure measurement sensor, you're measuring pressure directly. There's no artificial intelligence in just measuring the temperature. If you're looking at uh, or the, the pressure, if you're looking at two different temperatures and trying to determine the pressure across something, or you're looking at, at other things and inferring that third thing, now you've got some intelligence. 
And the question is how much intelligence is required? Is it, is it a simple calculation or do you need to look at ranges of things and combinations of things to infer an answer? And that's where the artificial intelligence comes in, in the inference engine. And but it's by bringing in data from lots of different places. Yeah, um, sure. and from 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 lots of different sources, and it might even have been data that wasn't related when you thought of your design some time ago. For example, bring in the price of electricity at a certain time of day. For sure, for sure, and this is you know a lot of this is about design of experiments. You may find that you're taking a hundred lines of data, and then you look at the streaming data afterwards, and you look at it and you say, you know, of these hundred lines. 96 of them are don't cares. No matter what happens to them, my output hasn't changed or it's changed in the way I want it to. So it's the equivalent of doing minimization of digital circuits, right? You have these inputs and end up being don't cares. I met Maurice Carnot once, by the way. That's a story for a different day <laughs> of, of Carnot maps fame. And and so, you know, you start with you all that. him what he was doing wrong, by the way? No, no, no. In fact, okay. it was really funny because I, I told him I thought he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to him on the phone. I said, and I jokingly said, Maurice Carnot, as in Carnot maps. He goes, Yeah, that's me. I said, Oh my God, I thought you were dead. He's like, No, I'm I'm very much alive. I said, it just seems like as a young engineer, everyone who ever had a good idea is already dead. <laughs> so it's just a weird, weird exchange. Anyway. Bad career advice, but go ahead. I know. Uh yeah, he was he was working at IBM at the time. So um where were we? Oh, we were talking about uh, don't cares and lines of data. So you're going to sort through that and you're going to figure out through data analysis, either your own or better through some automated uh, mechanism that those 98 or 95 lines of data that you took mean nothing. And you're going to find the most significant ones and then figure out what it means. In some cases, it might just be a threshold. And there's lots of times where you do design of experiments for artificial intelligence only to find out that a traditional um, algorithmic approach is the right answer. Um, but then you'll also find that it's combinations of things or movement of things, and the inference engine is the more efficient way. So I think you're gonna see a swell of it, and then people are gonna decide whether this is just a fad and they're going to go back to saving money on the product that they're building, right? Now, what you're talking about is a fair amount of number crunching. Is the processing capability available today? And I was told another tangent, never to use the word swell, but that's a different story. I think I got that from the little rascals. You don't use the word swell, but you think you're using it in a different term and in in a different meaning. So is is the, the processing available to do the type of AI that you're talking about today? And is it available to the regular engineer? Or do you have to be an expert? So, you know, the design of the experiment is where the expertise comes in and the analysis of the output of the data analysis is also where the engineering comes in. The tools are available. You're not doing this in real time on an MCU. You would take the data, you would push it up to a cloud service, you would do the minimization and the detection there, and then you would find an inference engine that runs on your targeted system. Is it an MCU? Is it an MPU? Is it connected or not connected? And figure out how you can divide up what happens locally and what happens in the cloud, right? I'm going to put in a plug for our AI Day event because we have somebody who's going to show us that we are able to do that inferencing at the edge. I don't think they announced it yet, so I can't say who it is, but 
if you come to AI Day, which I think is September 24th, you'll hear about that technology. I'll be there. I promise I won't heckle you. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, the answer is it's really going to depend on the application and the data and the engineer uh, on how this gets employed. You can do it on the edge. You can do a lot of things on the edge if you do stuff up front first. I, I did, um, not with AI, but I did a PID loop once on an 8-bit, small 8-bit processor. And uh, I did that because I did a lot of pre-calculations and no calculations were happening on um, uh, no, no real-time uh, calculations were happening on the small part. So you can do it if you design it in the right way. But like everything else, just like raising a kid, it takes a village. You know, when, when, when you and I were, were two uh, villages early, at least two, yeah. <laughs> when, when you and I were early on in our careers, a data sheet for, for an MCU or an MPU uh, were 100 pages. And you could crawl through that and figure out how to set the registers. And I remember I used to estimate for most of the peripherals on a part or on my board, a half a day to set up the peripheral. A couple of them were a day. And then you could start writing your code. Then, here's your word swell again, the data sheets um, swelled to thousands of pages. And there's nobody who has the time to crawl through all those and figure it out. That now took the hardware suppliers to provide um, some code generation tools to generate a how layer to at least set up the peripherals, if not actually use them in runtime. And so we're gonna need to look toward the people who are providing the technology to give us the tools to be efficient in our design work. Um, and and you know, companies have been taking stabs at that. One of the people who's really made a big investment and you and I've been talking about it is Renesis. You know, they bought Reality AI and they're incorporating their tools in into the uh into their eSquared Studio, you know, flagship development tool uh, and that that integration is only getting better and better. Um, and they they have made strategic partnerships. You and I have talked about Cyberon before and some other things and and so um, their commitment to this has made them part of this village that's allowing us to enable this technology on on products that we design with with their devices. Uh, and they're not just throwing things out, but they have things that get incorporated into their FSP, which is their driver stack um, uh, family. And, and you can configure all of that from within eSquared Studio, and they have technical support. So uh, either through them or through the partner. And in many cases, you're getting through them licenses that you'd be for usage that you'd be paying directly to other people for tools and things. So, so um, that's where the village is growing. It, it really is in partnering with a manufacturer and, and getting into their ecosystem as a customer, just like they have uh, partner companies offering things in their ecosystem and partners supporting things in their ecosystem. And here's plug number two for the same event. They're going to be talking about this stuff at AI Day on September 24th, the virtual cool. conference. So if you look down in the, um, the description below the podcast, you'll see a link that'll take you right to the registration page for AI Day. So you'll see Vin there, you'll see me there, you'll see Renaissance there, and you'll see the other company who I couldn't name yet, who has some uh, processing, AI processing out at the end point, not the edge, the end point. They wanted to make that clear. Thanks, Vin. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Rich.